I intended to have something written down and then loads of crazy things have happened over the last week and uh, the last few days. So I haven't got it written down. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit tonight about um, stories. Um, I was always taught, and loads of things that you read, they say that when you speak to people and when you preach to people, you should um, tell them a story. Okay? You should tell people a story. Because when you tell a story, people engage with the characters and the situation that the story is about. And people start to put themselves in that situation. And I know when I hear a story, or even, I suppose, when we watch a film, who's imagined themselves as part of that story afterwards? Put your hands up if you've imagined yourself as part of that story. Okay. I'll tell you a little story. Um, I wondered, after, as a teenager, watching Forrest Gump whether if you ran like Forrest Gump, you might actually be able to run better. So I tried it. Just tires you out. All right, okay. Don't try running like Forrest Gump. But stories are important. And we all have stories. We all have stories, each one of us. And in church, we hear a lot of stories because actually the Bible... Is God's story. We did a series a while ago uh, called Storylines based uh, on a book by Andy Croft and by Mike Pilavacci. And it traces the threads of the stories that run right through the Bible. One of those uh, we touched on this morning when Josh was preaching. Josh was preaching about Abraham and Isaac and he was uh, preaching about that sacrifice. Abraham's promised son, Isaac, that he longed for for such a long time that, that God had called him to, to lay down and called him to kill him as a sacrifice, not just give him up as a sacrifice, but actually obliterate him, wipe him out of existence as a sacrifice. Josh made a really good point this morning that actually kind of God's father heart was in that all along. And Isaac was never in any danger because if Abraham had refused to follow God, Isaac was going to be okay. If Abraham followed through with what God was calling him to do, God knew that he was going to say stop. He was testing Abraham. He wasn't putting Isaac in any danger. And that's, that's something kind of, you know, whenever you read a story, you, you hear something new. And that, was, that for me was fresh when Josh said that this morning. And all the kind of amazing speakers that I've heard over the years talk about that story. Nobody's ever said that before. So, Josh, well done for reading that story and, and thinking through that story and putting yourself in that place. But it's that story, wasn't it, that's thread through that theme that then actually there's this sheep that's caught in the hedge. And God says, just as Abraham's about to go through with it, take the sheep instead as a substitute. Take the sheep and sacrifice the sheep instead of your son. And then we see that same picture where we see Jesus described as the Lamb of God. And he becomes this substitute for us in this sacrifice. God doesn't call Abraham to do it, but he, he does it himself. And he sends his own son into that place um, to die as an atoning sacrifice for us, as a sacrifice that pays the price, basically, that means. And we see that story kind of weave its way through. You know, there's so many parallels in that story. It's even pretty likely that we were in the same region when that happened uh, in the mountains 
um, that same mountain range, even maybe that same mountain where it took place. And we connect with stories. And I've probably told you before that in that story, Noah connected with that story. And he said to me, Dad, Dad, what would happen if God told you to sacrifice me? And I tried to get out of it, and I tried to say, you know, he's not, God's gonna, not going to do that. Not, God's not going to do that, Noah. But he turned around and he said to me, yeah, Dad, but what if he did? What if he asked you, would you do it? And you start to live in that story. And you start to experience and understand the things that people were going through. And it's amazing when we hear stories. It's amazing when we share stories. Anyway, so we hear these stories, we put ourselves in the place in Bible stories. And they can really impact us. And when we invest in this fact that the Bible is true, and when we invest in this idea that actually what the Bible has to say is real and it's relevant to our lives today, we put ourselves big time into these stories. And some of them we cheer along with, and some of them we wish it could have happened another way. And if you've watched the Passion film... I imagine you've sat there like me, kind of half wishing it would stop, kind of half wishing the story could be different, but actually knowing that the story needs to be the same. But actually that story can't change, because if that story hadn't played out the way it was, and the way it did happen with Jesus going to the cross for us, we wouldn't have had this sacrifice, we wouldn't have had the Lamb of God in our place. But you know what? There's something that uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, and it's one of those quotes that sticks in me, in a bank of little quotes that pull out every now and again. It's this. It says, um, preach the Bible at all times, and if necessary, use words. And when you take that into account, actually what it's saying is, Preach the Bible, preach the gospel, tell the good news of who Jesus is with your story. Do you know what? I look out at you guys, and the Bible talks about something uh, in Greek that it calls oikos. Okay, this is a Greek lesson for you today. Everybody say oikos. I think there's a yogurt called oikos as well, isn't there? All right, okay, but that's slightly weird that the yogurt's called uh, oikos, because it's like... Uh, it's a Greek yogurt called oikos, uh, and um, if it was an English yogurt, in that case, it would be called house. Okay, all right? Oikos means house. So when you hear in the Bible um, that it says things like the centurion who was looking after, uh, he was looking after um, Jesus on the cross, and it talks about him and find out who Jesus was. But it talks about the centurion who was looking after Paul uh, when he was in prison. And it says they told him about Jesus and him and all his oikos, all his house, were saved. Okay, doesn't mean he went home and his house became a church. Okay, all right, it became a chapel building. It's not talking about a building. Okay, it's talking about a household, but in a bigger extent than a household we think about. Okay, so it's all those people connected. So in that time it might have been... Uh, people who worked for him, servants in the house, family, all that kind of thing. All the people that he was connected with is oikos. Okay. I look out and each one of you has got an oikos, not the yogurt. Okay. 
the other oikos. Okay, and that is people who God has uniquely placed you in their lives and in their life situation. Okay, and that might be family. Okay, that might be your friends. That might be the people that you go to work with, the people that you sit by, the people you talk to at lunchtime. Everybody kind of has around, I think it's 8 to 16, is that right, Ruth? 8 to 15. 8 to 15 people who would be in their oikos. Okay, each person has... There's strange noises coming from beyond. Um, just because we can't see you doesn't mean we can't hear you, children. Um, okay, there's... Where was I? Oikos. Okay, everybody's got their oikos, these people that they influence, that God has placed in their lives. Okay, when I look at each of you, and when I think that each of you has got all those people that you can influence, the thing that they're investing in, the thing that they are invested in the truth of, invested in the relevance of, is likely at the moment not the Bible. It's not the Word of God. Okay, but it's actually you. The story that they're likely to hear, the story that they're likely to respond to, is not the story of the Bible, but it's the story of you. You are uniquely positioned to influence and tell a story to those people. In church, in uh, Christianese, if you like it, we call that a testimony, okay? We call it in church and we call it in court, okay? And we pretty much call it that nowhere else, okay? But a testimony, we say we're going to give a testimony about what God has done in my life. And actually, that just means I'm going to give a story, I'm going to tell you a true story of what has happened in my life. I have heard some absolutely amazing testimonies over the years. I've heard some people that when I've heard them speak, their story is so amazing. Their story is so incredible that I can't help but be captured by it. I can't help but but think that is incredible. And I grew up in church, kind of wishing for a better story. I looked at my story, and, and, and where part of it starts, and mum can tell you the date, but I can't. I think it was May, May the 13th, 1985. May the 13th, 1985, I went to a holiday club, a Bible holiday club at a place called Spring Meadow Baptist. I went there because the guy who came from there, uh, uh, you know, I think he was old. He was probably younger than I am now. Um, but in my head, he was old because I was at primary school and I was seven. He used to come in. He used to do assemblies in our school. And he used to come in with this big art case, one of those big black art folders. And he used to open it up. And he used to draw these pictures and he used to fill in these. You ever seen that thing when they do the squares and then they paint the bits and it makes words and it makes pictures and it tells a story. And he told these stories and they captured my imagination. And they were slightly different. They weren't different content, but it was done in a different way than I was used to week in, week out at church. And maybe because it wasn't my mum and it wasn't my granddad and it wasn't my auntie and it wasn't people I knew really well that were telling me these stories, like Steve's mum, 
was one of my Sunday school teachers. Maybe because it wasn't these people I knew really well in that case. Something captured my imagination. But he told a story, and I loved it, when the teacher said, Pastor Flavel's coming to do the assembly today. So when we had this chance to go along to Spring Meadow Baptist Church, okay, it's just down in Old Hill, uh, I wanted to go along. And he told the story of Jesus, and he told the story of the gospel. And little seven-year-old me, with kind of like white blonde, kind of not quite so curly hair, I said, you know what? That's a story that I identify with. That's a story that I, I've witnessed to in my own church. And now I want to follow that. And I want to give my heart to Jesus. And I became a Christian on that day in May in 1985. Being a kid that had gone to church all his life so far, all seven years of it. And I carried on. And I came to church every week. And I went to places like Peckwood uh, to go on camp and stuff like that. And, and all the way along, my, my life just seemed like this kind of humdrum life. There was no exciting story. And people would come into church as I was growing up and going through teenage years. And, and they would share these stories of how they came from some terrible thing that had happened to them. And they came to faith in Jesus and they came to understanding his story and they changed and I would be jealous, jealous for their story. I almost kind of in my mind was considering why don't I just be really bad for a while and then ask Jesus uh, if he can make me better again just so I've got a story to tell and that's going to help people to know Jesus because why would they want to listen to my story because my story is nothing special. And I went on and I went on kind of growing up as a Christian. And I loved being in church. Loved being around the church. And I wanted to be here to the point where me and Steve and a few mates would kind of like give any excuse to set something up and do something at church. And like we'd have an event on at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night, so we would need to be there from like 10 o'clock in the morning to set up and get everything ready and be around church. Because church was a place we loved to be. But still nothing special was happening as far as I was concerned. Nothing different was happening. There was nothing for me to tell a story about. And I'd been growing up and I stood in that pulpit, stood here, aged 11, preached my first sermon, it was probably more here, um, and kind of reaching up, everybody used to preach from the pulpit in those days, and maybe it was a bit different to my friends, and kind of they were, they saw me as different, but it wasn't different in an exciting way, I was different because I didn't swear, um, I was different because uh, I didn't play football on a Sunday, however much I wanted to. Uh, I probably wasn't anywhere near good enough at that point to play football on a Sunday anyway. But I was different. Uh, Steve will tell you the same. We were, we'd be different to our friends, but not in a way that was exciting, in a way that they didn't kind of get their head around and couldn't see why we were doing it. Longed for this exciting story. 
And then bit by bit, as my story carried on, as I grew up, I started to actually realize that God was doing some amazing stuff round about. We were seeing some really cool stuff happen. As I grew up through uh, teenage years and college, I started to see some incredible things. I started to see um, some healings. Myself, I got healed when Kev prayed for me. Uh, a place called Spring Harvest, which is a big festival. We'd been talking up for the whole year, basically, hey, we were going to go to Spring Harvest. And this year, we were going to enter the football competition because we never got around to doing it. And uh, just before we went, I think the week before we went, I really badly twisted my ankle and I couldn't put any weight on it. Um, we went away to Spring Harvest. And, um, you know, I, no one had ever taught us to pray and minister directly to people. I don't think in that church, that just wasn't kind of something those of us who were here at that point, which I'm looking around, which is very few. But we were never taught to, to pray or to lay hands on people and things like that. So we didn't really know how to do it. And the kind of only ideas we had of how to do this were in that, those kind of like stylized, like American, like evangelist TV show type ways of doing things. So Kev Oakley, who at the time I suppose must have been about, I don't know, 14, 15, in a queue for keys at Minehead Butlins, which was the venue for Spring Harvest, with kind of hundreds of Christians milling around, waiting, queuing. The event hasn't even started. Kev provides the main attraction, okay, by grabbing me unceremoniously by the ankle. Okay, I imagine I probably squealed at this point because he's got my ankle and he's like got it in the air. And he shouts at the top of his voice in Kev's best kind of like TV evangelist way. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Immediately, as you can imagine, the whole of this queue kind of goes, looks at me. And I'm like, hey, it's better. <laughs> it's great. And, and that was fine. And that was the first time, actually, that I'd experienced anything with healing. I, I, I'd read and heard and heard preached that God could heal, but actually, I'd never seen it. And I'd kind of never dared to believe, actually, maybe that it happened today. And um, we went on. We were interviewed on the big screen. Uh, uh, at Spring Harvest. We won the tournament. Uh, I scored the winning goal in the last minute of the final. Uh, we beat Tim Vine, the comedian's team. Uh, I can't remember if that was the semi-final or the final. Was that the final? It was many, many moons ago. Okay, the final. So I was going through and suddenly little things started to happen in my story. But I kind of longed for something more to happen in my story and I talked to so many people and they just oh my my story just kind of like bumbles along and my story's not that there's no point in telling anybody my story but as it's gone on I've realized actually there are more and more little threads that shoot off from my story that are far more important than my story on its own. And as I tell 
my story to people, it's tied up with so many other people's stories. And actually, it starts to build something which is much bigger than me. And it starts to remind me, actually, that there was a time as a teenager when I felt God was saying to me, you've got two options. I don't believe God always has like one thing that we're meant to do. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes God points us right down a path. But sometimes I firmly believe that sometimes he gives us an option. And I remember really clearly the first time I kind of remember thinking, is God speaking to me about this? This is God. And it was so clear in what he was doing that it said, like, I'm giving you two options. Either you can have a life of blessing where you get to do everything you want to do with your music. You get to be on a platform in front of loads of people. You get to directly influence people from the front of somewhere. Or, or I put you in a place where out of what you do, so many more people go and influence their people. And at that time, I desperately, desperately wanted to be the next big Christian singing artist, being the next big Christian band. Damac was going to go on a world tour with Steers, our manager and art director, and me, me and uh, Steve's brother James, uh, and a guy called Yestin afterwards, and people like this. We were going to take over the world of Christian music, and we were going to bring everybody to know who Jesus was through doing that thing. But actually, I chose and said to God, you know what? I want to see other people's lives changed and send people out. And I didn't really know what that meant, but actually, as I prayed, I knew that was what I needed to do. Partly because I think uh, my personality, uh, especially the way I was then, wouldn't have coped well with being on a platform in front of loads of people. I would have got too big for my boots, too big-headed, and then tried to think that everything was all about me and not about the one who gave me a gift to do it. And I believe at that point in making that choice that God kind of changed something in me and changed some of the way that my character is and some of the things that I can do and some of the things that I'm good at. And I just believe that actually my gift to people is to reach the people that God puts me in contact with so that they can reach the people that God puts them in contact with. Stories connect into people. Stories connect into lives. Stories connect into hearts. And actually... You've all got a story. My story, I still look back and think, oh, I could do with some juicier bits in this story. 
But actually, it serves its purpose as part of a bigger story. And when we look at a big story, actually we need to find our role, our pages, our chapter, our branch of the story. Tell people your story. Tell people what God's done for you. Because actually it's the fact that you tell somebody your story rather than how great you think your story is that's going to make a difference in people's lives. You have got those 8 to 15 people who God has put in your life. Some of them might already be saved. Some of them might already be walking with Jesus. But actually you can influence them and pray for them and send them on and send them out. Sharing your story with them is vital. I don't know about you, but I was really encouraged to read people's stories when we did the Reboot Mag. Um, To read what people were saying. And I think the act of telling your story actually focuses you as well on what God's done for you. It focuses you in on where you've been and how you've come through it and where you're going. I just want you to think for a minute about your story. And maybe you've got an amazing part of your story. I think like people like Luke, who's got this amazing testimony of healing. And other people around the room and I look and I think, wow, your story blows my story out of the water. But actually... People identify with you and are invested in you as a storyteller. All you need to do is tell your story. Tell your story. Your story connects with people. Those people then connect through your story to a bigger story, which is God's story. Because actually those threads that run through the Bible, from the likes of Abraham, Joseph, people like this, all through the Old Testament, come into the New Testament, carry on uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection into the early church. Those threads don't just stop when the pages of the Bible stops. Those threads carry on. Your story is woven in, is threaded in, to all those stories, all those stories that have gone before. When people connect with you and your story because you tell it, they're going to connect with the backstory. Origin stories are really cool at the moment in cinema and all that kind of stuff. Actually, your story points to God's origin story and tells a bigger story than you can ever tell. Let's just pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you that you give each and every one of us a story. Thank you that as we journey with you, Lord God, as we follow after your heart, Lord God, you take us on a journey. And God, maybe we, we're in the early chapters of our story, or maybe our story's been going for a while. God, maybe we think it's, uh, it's really got nothing to it. God, or maybe we know that you've done something amazing, Lord God. 
Thank you that we all have a miracle uh, in our story if we're saved by you. Lord God, the biggest miracle of all, the miracle of death to life. Lord God, everything else is an addition. But Lord God, I just pray that you'd help us to release our stories into those people around us, Lord God, as we influence people for you. Help them, help us to preach the gospel. Lord God, help us to use our stories, to use our lives to tell your story. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.